Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We're working our way through the New Testament in 90 days, and we are on, uh, for those of you that uh, uh, have the little card, we're getting to that final column, everybody, okay? So that's, if, you, if you've stuck with us, man, fantastic. If you haven't started or you kind of fumbled along the way, you're not alone. Yeah, some of you are like, hey, oh, never mind, shh. <clears throat> so uh, what we want to encourage you to do is just pick up wherever uh, you are, whatever's going on, man, just pick up there, okay? And so um, today in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, we're going to look specifically uh, at, the, at the topic of unity. Uh, the, the background is uh, Paul has spent 18 months in Corinth. So in Acts chapter 18, he talks about his ministry there, uh, and he stays there for so long because he has this tremendous promise. And the promise is this, from the Holy Spirit, it says, go on preaching there because I have many people in this city. So Paul has this amazing promise, and then he invests 18 months for his uh, particular uh, uh, rhythm of life and journey. That's a long time to stop somewhere. And so uh, he invests 18 months in this group because the Lord said, I've got many people there, continue to preach. And so he invests and invests and invests. And if you read 1 Corinthians this week, you know that the church at Corinth is, man, they are all sorts of messed up. They have problems that you may not have even thought of before. They got those problems right here. And so Paul, with a sense of heartbreak, um, begins to uh, work this out in this letter. Um, and he's like, dude, I, I gave you 18 months, man. Like, I, I invested in you, I mean, and, I, and I, I want you to be thoughtful about that, and I, I cared about you, and I preached to you, and I, I walked with you, and I, I was there um, when people uh, came to know Christ and get baptized, and when they died, I mean, like, I was there 18 months, I've given my life to you. <gasps> Anybody ever feel that way? This is Paul, and this is his tone in 1 Corinthians. Okay, so what I'd like to do here is start in verse 10 and work our way down to verse 17, kind of verse by verse, and then we'll go backwards to verse 4 at the end of the sermon. So I'm just giving you a roadmap of where we're headed. Today's theme is unity. Um, it, it's unity. And so here we start in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be un uh, united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people there is quarreling among you, brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Now, verse 16, there's a little parenthesis here, and I just think this is hilarious. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anybody else. Like, if you ever wondered, are these real people who are writing this? Paul lived his life and went, uh, like, did his ministry without the benefit of Siri. Siri, remind me, at 845. To, he, he didn't remember. He's like, I didn't baptize anybody but Christmas. And, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, there was that other group, too. And they didn't have erasers back then. They couldn't, like, scratch it out. There was no delete button. You know what I mean? They couldn't just... So he's like, oh, yeah, and I baptize these other people. I don't remember if I baptize anybody else. That's not what's important. Verse, what's important is verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied 
of its power. Now, if you are a person who writes in your Bible, you want to uh, underline emptied of its power. We're going to pick back up on that uh, towards the end here because the cross has unbelievable power. So today we're talking about unity and we're just going to work our way through those eight verses there and then go backwards. Okay. Verse 10 is where we'll start. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let's start there. What we're talking about is differences without division. Differences without division. Um, There is profound strength in our differences. Um, God is not in the business of making us a uniform people. He wants us to be a united people. He picks that exact language up. You be united in the same mind and in, in the same judgment. You don't have to be like me. I don't have to be like you. We don't have to look alike, think alike, dress alike, talk alike. We don't have to do any of those things alike. What we, God is not in the business of making you into me or me into you. He is in the business of making both of us into Jesus. That's what we're after. When we talk about dif- differences without division, what, we, what we're recognizing is uh, we have different stories. We have different backgrounds. We have different gifts. We have different um, passions. We have different kind of heart things that our, our hearts go to. All of those are great. All of those actually play into the strength of a united church because we're stronger when we recognize that these are differences. A couple of things underneath this I just want to highlight specifically related to divisions versus differences and and unity. Uh, We can afford to note differences when there is no crisis or challenge. When the water's calm, folks, and everything's cool and... We can look around and go, oh, yeah, they do things a little different. I wonder if I could learn something, or maybe they should learn something from me. Or that church down the road, they do things different. When it gets a little squirrely, when things you know, kick up, when the winds blow and the waves come, there's not a whole lot of time for nitpicking other stuff. Can I, without being an alarmist, without me pointing to the book of Revelation, anything like like. We are not in the moment where we can afford to be um, noting our differences. Like, we are in the place where there are plenty of crises and challenges, and let's, let's just start in our own lives. And then let's work our way out to our circle, to um, our area, to our culture, to our nation, to the world. Anybody have challenges that they can point a finger at and go, yeah, that's going to be a little bit rough for a while. Church family, it's going to be rough for a while. Again, I, I'm not pointing, this is not the apocalypse. I'm like None of this, this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's going to be rough for a while. But the church is uniquely equipped to live through hard times Amen. and help others do the same. Have we seen that before around here? How about this section right here? Let's just start on this half of the room. The church is uniquely equipped to live through hard times and to help others do the same. Have we seen that before? Yes. How about y'all? Y'all seen it? Yes. yes. Therefore, guess what? There, that's what I'm right. Well, ring that bell one more time. That's what I'm talking about. I hope that gets on the internet. <clears throat> what, what I am saying is there are moments when the, when the water is calm and we can note differences. This is not that moment. This is not that moment. We've got things going on in our world that we need to step into in my world, in our world, and in the world that we need to step into and say, man, what matters most is that we follow Jesus together. We can afford to know differences without 
when there's not crisis challenge, this is not that. I just want to, man, I just want to set a warning out here just very, very briefly, okay? Uh, Here's warning number one. Some manufacture a crisis in order to maintain their influence um, or their power. Just look out for them. Um, Whipping people up so so that it feels like it's always a crisis. Whipping people up so that they can maintain an audience or whatever it may be. Keep their TV show. Get a TV show. Whatever it is. Their podcast. Go, whatever. Like, just be careful about those people. It may not be quite as bad as they're pretending to be so that they can sell ads so that they can make money. Okay? Number two. Some people fight uh, yesterday's battle. And they do it for one of two reasons. Number one, they don't know that the outcome is already decided. Hello. Or number two, they don't know who they are without a fight. Either one. Just be careful of those. When, when there's crisis or challenge, some people will play off of one thing and some people will fight a battle that's already decided. So just be careful about that. Here's the second thing I want to say. Division comes when we fight that wrong fight and we fight it against the wrong enemy. I want to highlight something we put up uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, uh, this particular uh, circles of cooperation or whatever you want to call it. I said this in the 830. We say it on the regular around here. If ever you want to grab your phone and there's too much to write down, you snap a picture. It doesn't bother me or anybody around you, okay? But um, this idea has been super helpful for me and I'm passing it along, highlighting it again so that we can uh, uh, have it in our mind. The big circle is the kingdom circle. This is the stuff we die for. Jesus died on a cross and rose again. Uh, the Bible is true and is the word of God to us. God is the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Spirit. Like, these are the big things, okay? These are the big things. This is kingdom stuff. Uh, and the smaller circle is the circle of church. This is things that allow us to do life together as we journey and follow um, Christ together. And yes, there are differences between our church and the church down the street and the church over there. Great. That's fine. But uh, it's the kingdom that matters most. And a smaller circle uh, is for the church. These are things we differ over. And then the last thing, the smaller circle is uh, the smallest circle is the circle of conscience. It's where I'm under conviction about something. And so I need to um, kind of hold this in my heart, so to speak, and live a particular way. And the, the problems come when we take one of the things that fits in a circle and blow it up to where it's bigger than it should be, or when we take it and shrink it down. Let's take the second one first. When I take something that is critical, super important, and shrink it down, that's not a good play. Most of the time, though, I mean, sometimes it happens that way. Most of the time, though, I take something that's smaller um, and I blow it up to more important than it should be. That's where we have conflict. And so the the fight that we... um, Division comes, I said, when we fight the wrong fight against the wrong enemy. We don't want to take something and push it outward, and we don't want to take something and shrink it down, push it inward. We just want to um, let it be um, where, where it is supposed to be. Um, and here's the stakes. Here's the stakes. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, brothers and sisters. So the report of the Corinthian church is, boy, they sure do like to fight a lot. They sure do like to fuss and argue. I mean, there's, there's people on one side who say one thing, people on the other side who say a different thing, people on one side who vote this way, people on the other side who vote that way, people who watch this channel, people who watch that channel, people who do this, people who do that. This is the report of the Corinthian church. Church family, when we start fighting the fights that don't need to be fought or fighting the fights that have already been decided, we compromise, we give up on the mission. Why? Because we're so busy doing the fighting, the quarreling part, that we're not doing what God said is most important to do. Differences, but no division. 
That's where we start. What does this sound like? What does this sound like? Look at verse 12. If you're listening for the sound of division, here we go. Um, again, this is first century Corinth, but just see if it's, any of it sounds familiar. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Let's just start there. Like, what, I follow Paul. So Paul's the founder. Let's just kind of play this out a little bit. Paul's the founder of the church in Corinth. It sounds something like this. Um, he founded the church. I like the way he did things. I like the way things are going right now. We're going to keep it that way. Anybody grow up around church, hear that before? We're following the founder. He's the one who did it. Hey, listen, I, I want to highlight this and say it one more time. Like, the idea is not to follow Paul. The idea is to follow Jesus. The idea is to not be like Paul. The idea is to be like Jesus. The idea is not to be like any particular human. Church family, I could fall over dead tomorrow. And the church will go on. You know why? Because Jesus is in charge. Like, don't put your hope in a, a person. I follow Paul, the founder. I like the way he does things. This is what we're doing. I follow Paul. Second one, um, I follow Apollos. If you're not up to speed on who Apollos was in the book of Acts, he's represented um, as the guy. He had a high social media following. He, um, his podcast was number two on Apple Podcasts. He was an eloquent preacher. Some of you weren't quite tracking. You're like, oh, really? You're like looking right now. No, 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 no. Apollos is like first century preacher guy. Traveled with Paul. Okay, so like, uh, no, but he was a really eloquent speaker. This is how the Bible um, talks about him. He's the preacher. And, and because of this, um, he's particularly popular and particularly persuasive. And so they're following him. Well, I don't really like the way that the founder was doing it, but this new guy, man, he's got some cool stuff to say. This is what we're doing. Some people um, don't like those guys. They don't like Paul. They don't like Apollo. So what do they, who do they do? They follow Cephas. Cephas is another name for anybody. Bible trivia time. Peter. Okay, so Cephas is another name for Peter. Peter is the original, like, apostle guy. He's in um, kind of modern parlance. He's the OG. All right, that's what we're talking about here. If you just believe that a 48-year-old said that from the stage, here we are. Um, Cephas is the original. Now, he hadn't been to Corinth. And so we love an idea about somebody, but we don't want them too close lest they hold us accountable and be close to us. Oh, I'm following Cephas. Well, you know, Cephas, Peter would be doing this, this, and this. Uh, well, you know, he's kind of off right over And then the last one, well, I follow Christ. And that's like the trump card. You know what I mean? Like you just pull that out, like, can't talk to me anymore. What there's, some people say this out of hurt. And I, I just want to recognize as a pastor that this is a reality. Some people say, look, man, I can't follow you. I can't follow them. I can't follow that guy over there, these people, that group, this teacher, whatever. I, I, just, I just want to follow Jesus. Like, I, I've had it with all these other people. I just want to follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. Some people say that I've heard. Some people say it out of um, kind of a pride or an arrogance. Well, I don't like the way you do it. I don't like it. I'm just going to follow Jesus. Never mind on both groups that there were people who helped get you to where you are. And there are people who are helped shape, shape, shaping you into who you are. And God is using those people to bring you to that place. So it's not quite the trump card that you think um, that it may be. This is what division sounds like. So Paul responds with three questions. Verse 13. 
is, is Christ divided? That's his first question. Is Christ divided? Is the river of life now just a bunch of disconnected streams that are kind of flowing places and hopefully not doing um, too much damage in uh, as this unfolds? No, 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 he's not. Listen, um, wh- what is happening here um, is that jealousy and strife have begun to creep in. Jealousy and strife. Is Christ divided? I'm, I'm going to pick this up uh, in chapter 3. This is a late ad, but just listen. In chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. Why? Because you weren't ready. I had steak on the grill and you weren't ready to eat it. Even now you're not ready, he says, for all, uh, you're still in the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife, there's our two words, jealousy and strife among you. Aren't you of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When someone says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul's lit up on this. Jealousy and strife. What happens is we take our preferences and we begin to project them and jealousy and strife um, are the result. Um, James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. What causes quarrels? There's our word again. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you, your desires, your preferences? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you would spend it on yourselves. Jealousy and strife. Jealousy is when I'm not getting what I think is most desirable. Strife is the result of this where my attitude, my appearance, my action reflects my jealousy and it creates problems. How? By either isolating myself or... um, Uh, trying to uh, rally people to my side and isolate uh, someone else. The result of that is a root of bitterness, is how the writer of Hebrews describes it. And I just want you to listen to this. This is a terrifying, to me, a terrifying description. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness uh, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many have become defiled. A root of bitterness. Jealousy and strife and it lets bitterness begin to grow in our lives. And the Bible particularly calls it a root of bitterness. Root. So what that's saying is everything that comes off of that plant will be poisoned by bitterness. The fruit of that will not be good. And furthermore, anybody have this problem? Last year, uh, you know, the big freeze happened. We had plants go dead. Anybody else lose plants? All right. We had plants go dead. Anybody else give it basically a year to let it be like, oh, please come back. Please come back. Please come back. I don't want to spend money at Houston Garden Center right now. Please come back. Anybody with me on that? Wait a long time. I did too. A couple weekends ago, I go outside. I'm like, they ain't coming back. So I get out there and I start clipping branches and pulling stuff out the ground and all that kind of stuff. And what do I, I get down to where I'm like, dude, this is going to take some work here. So I start with a hoe, got to get a shovel. You got to pull this stuff out. Why? Because there are roots that have sunk deep down in this soil. This is what Paul says, or excuse me, the writer of the Hebrews says bitterness is like. It sinks deep down. And there's poisonous, deadly stuff that comes off of it. That's true. But to dig it out, to get it out of us, Dude, it takes a lot of work. It's better to not let it grow. That's his point. It's better to not let it grow. Is Christ divided? No, of course not. Second question. Was Paul crucified for you? What's the answer to that? 
No, no. Uh. <clears throat> in, in pointing this out, he's pointing out one thing. There is a Messiah. And there's no human person that you can put flesh on today who is that Messiah. Like, you can't touch the Messiah. Like, there is a Messiah. You're not him. Your friend's not him. Your husband, your wife, your boss, your, the, the, the personality that's on the TV or on social media or anybody. Nobody is that Messiah. There's only one Messiah, and his name is, somebody help me, his name is Jesus. That's exactly right. Jesus did die for you. And last question, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's his question there? What is the source of your life? What, what, what gives you new life? Was it Paul? No, only Jesus. Only Jesus. So those are the three questions that Paul asked to combat this, this division that was trying to grow there. And, and he's calling them back to the mission. He's calling them back to the mission. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The mission is to preach the gospel. And church family, that is what is at stake. When it comes to division in the church, and I'm not talking just about our church, it's kind of a warning shot or whatever you want to call this. Um, I'm not talking about our church, like the church. Like what, what is at stake is the, the mission of letting the, the world know that there is good news in Jesus. That tyrants do live, but they don't live forever. Jesus is the king. That people do get elected and do stupid stuff when they're in office, but they don't get to reign forever. Jesus is the king. Systems of governments and systems of power and economic systems, they do last for a while, but they don't get the final say. Why? Because Jesus is the king. The mission is to spread that word. And when we get distracted by, di- by division, when we start fighting about things that don't ultimately matter, then we lose the opportunity to fulfill the thing that Jesus has sent us to do, to preach the gospel. This is what is at stake. So let's, let's back up. We said it, we, Paul said, we didn't want the cross to be emptied of its power. Where's the power? Look back at verse 4. I love that he puts this before the stuff that he just offloaded. Because like it's, hey, I'm on your side here. There are important things that we have to say, but like, let's start here. I love that he puts this before. Verse 4. What is the power? What is the unifying power of the cross? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Number one, the unifying power of the cross is that it is the reason that we have grace today. You are not a nice enough, good enough, um, rich enough, powerful enough, um, capable enough person to earn the grace of God. You're not. There's not a person on your row who is. You don't look right. You don't act right. You don't believe right. The only reason you have the grace of God at work in your life is because of the cross of Christ. When we talk about grace, we're talking about help. Whatever help that you need, whatever help um, uh, that you're feeling like you need in this moment, it is available to you. Why? Because of the cross of Jesus. That is the reality in which we live. There's an old preacher saying, but it's absolutely true. The, the um, ground is level at the foot of the cross. So look, look down the row. Everybody you see right there, they need Jesus. Look, look the other way. Everybody you see right there, they need Jesus. They have the same needs that you have, same needs that I have. 
We all need the same thing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The cross is the reason that we have grace. Secondly, that in every way you were enriched, uh, verse 5, and in every way you were enriched in him um, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, it, the unifying power of the cross is the reason we have grace. Number two, it's the reason we have gifts. The story goes that the, um, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us because of, our, um, because of the grace of God in us and at work in us. And the Holy Spirit has given us gifts so that we can um, build up the body and um, help the world and see the kingdom come in the world. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, he's talking about the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives. And he says he distributes them as he sees fit, as his best. And so we as a church family, you individually and we collectively, we have gifts that are given by the Spirit of God because of the cross of Christ. Not all of us have the same gift. That's good. It's really good. Because you need to be able to do some things that I can't do it. I can do some things that maybe you would not do. And so this is a good thing. We have gifts because of the cross of Christ. And it's a good thing for not only for us here, but also for the world. Verse eight, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So reason we have grace, reason we have gifts, reason we have hope. The unifying power of the cross is you and I have hope today because of the cross of Christ. Look at what he says, who will sustain you to the end. You want to know, no matter what's going on in your life today, no matter what's happening um, in the world around you today, you want to know, are you going to make it to the end? Yes, you will. Why? Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Not because you're holding on to him, but because he is holding on to you. He promises if you'll put your faith in Jesus, he will see you through to the end. He will sustain you to the very end. You feel like, oh, dude, I, I need him to because I don't know if I've got another step in me. Good news. He's going to hold your hand and help you take that step. He will sustain you to the end. There is a source of hope today in the cross of Christ. But not just that. He will sustain you to the end. And what's the next word? Guiltless. Guiltless. There is therefore, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. For everyone who has put their trust in Christ, the cross of Christ has paid the debt that you and I owe to God for not most of our sin, not the polite sins, not the sins that we're willing to confess, not the sins that somebody else knows about or finds out about. He paid the debt for all of our sins. That's why there's no condemnation. It's why you and I will stand one day guiltless before God, not because we're not um, uh, uh, not because we're uh, not guilty of the things that we've done, but because Jesus has paid the debt for that and declares us guiltless in light of it. We stand today clean, forgiven, not because we're uniquely forgivable, not because I can confess in a way that will make him, but because of the cross of Christ. We have hope today. So I just want to tell you, man, if you're here in the room, you're watching online, listen, if you have stuck it in the ditch, even this week, you look back over your shoulder, look in the rearview mirror, five minutes ago, man, it was bad news. Listen. You can stand before God guiltless by putting your trust in Jesus and receiving the forgiveness that he purchased for you. Yes, it was dreadful. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, there may be repercussions and consequences. All of that's true. Sin is bad, man. Evil is in the world. And it's bad. But you and I can stand before God guiltless because of what Jesus has done for us.
Put your trust in Jesus. Receive forgiveness. Have hope. You want to know? You'd be like, oh, listen, though. I'm coming to God for like 400th time to confess my sin. This particular sin. The reason we have hope that he will forgive us is not because of your confession. It's because of what Jesus has done. Who will sustain us to the end guiltless. Then he says, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church family, there is coming a day when Jesus is going to return and set everything right. Timers don't rule forever, man. Crazy stuff is not going to be our world forever. Chaos will reign today, but not forever. Weeping lasts for the night, the psalmist says, but joy, it's joy that comes in the morning. It's the reason we have hope is because Jesus is going to make everything right. Last thing, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the reason we have relationship with him. The cross of Christ has unifying power. And the unifying power is we have relationship with him. People who have put their trust in Jesus, their backgrounds are different than yours, their stories are different than yours, their current situation is different than yours, their profession is different than yours, their education is different than yours, whatever it may be. But we have relationship with our Father, our Father who is in the heavens. We have relationship with our Father, not my Father, our Father, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We get to call God Father and he calls us Children, that makes us family. We have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with one another because of the cross of Christ. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you today to receive the forgiveness and be welcomed into his family. If you're watching online and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you to surrender your life to him and receive forgiveness and the grace that he has for you. We're going to take a moment and pray. And if you um, would like to do some business with God, this would be a great day for you to do so. We'll sing a song, let you uh, take some time to think, pray, reflect, um, look over some things, whatever it may be. We'll have a moment here. Let you take this moment and see how God would continue to speak to you. Let's pray together and then we'll respond. Um, Father, just for the next few moments, I pray any person here who's, um, any person who's watching online who doesn't know you, I pray that they would put their trust in you. Draw them. Like Jeremiah says, draw them with cords that are built out of your love. For those of us here who have walked with you, and maybe we sense division, maybe we have this thing inside of us that is thinking about or or wondering about or planning for. God, help us to set all of that down and put our trust fully in you and then rely on what you said and what we're supposed to do. Help us to be about those things. In my spirit, I just, my sense, Father, is that there are people here without hope. Grant them hope today. that you will sustain them to the end, that you will forgive their sin, that there is a day coming when you will make everything right. Give them hope today. And may all of us be unified around the hope of the cross of Christ. We give you that today. Put it in your hands. We're glad to do so. Please continue to speak and minister. Please continue to do the work. 
in our lives that needs to be done to make us like Jesus. This is what we ask now in his name. And everybody said, amen and amen.